It's the Morning Drive on FM 96.3 and AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here. And joining us in studio now, it's the Grand Isle State's Attorney, Doug DeSabato. Good morning, Doug. Good morning. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. And, of course, you were just in the news media just in the last weeks here in regard to a case up in um, up in your county, and that was um, Mr. Laro. And why don't you talk about that? That made all the media basically... It seemed like sort of your frustration boiled over in this case, and you made a statement uh, on social media, picked up by the press, basically saying you were extremely disappointed in the decision by the judge, which, why don't you go ahead and tell us what the sentence was and why you were so disappointed in it. Sure. So uh, uh, I issued a press release uh, on Sunday, I think a week ago Sunday, uh, after a sentencing hearing on Thursday where... Uh, well, well, I charged a gentleman with trafficking fentanyl and distributing heroin. And this defendant uh, was a habitual offender in that he had three prior felonies. One was for sailor distribution of cocaine. One was for obstruction of justice. And one was for conspiracy to distribute narcotics. And so when he has increased or, you know, changed the product to heroin and fentanyl, uh, poisoning our community, I felt that uh, a significant sentence was warranted. And so I had asked the court to sentence him uh, to 15 years to life on the heroin charge and 15 years to life on the fentanyl trafficking charge uh, with a $20,000 fine for an overall sentence of 30 years to life and a $20,000 fine. Uh, the court obviously disagreed with uh, my position and opted to, for lack of a better term, side with the defense in that he is a low-level street dealer, uh, he has medical issues, and he's only selling to support his own habit. And so the judge uh, gave this defendant a sentence of four years to ten years, all suspended with a four-year term of probation, and a caveat that after two years on probation, uh, he could petition the court for an early discharge. And so overall, it made little sense to me that somebody that is charged as a habitual offender and also convicted of trafficking fentanyl and distributing heroin in our little county walked out of the courtroom and could be discharged from supervision within two years. Now, let me ask you, Doug, his attorney, in the, obviously um, the judge sided more with Mr. Laro's attorney, and the attorney for Mr. Laro said, well, the jail time's not going to help. Uh, he's in rehabilitation now, attending rehabilitation drug classes, is being held for biweekly drug tests, is improving his life now, and, and jail time is not going to, it's not going to help Mr. Laro. What do you, how do you respond to that? I know you obviously disagree strongly. Well, my response, and the judge had this information, is that is almost a uh, photocopy uh, statement from his federal case. He did the same thing. And in my sentencing memorandum, I provided that all to the judge. 
And I said, here it is. And the state's state anticipates this same argument is going to be made at this sentencing. And sure enough, it was. Uh, so uh, I, I want to be clear and I, <clears throat> I don't want to blur these lines. And I think it needs to be said that there is a difference between somebody that is in possession of and using drugs versus somebody that has a record of selling drugs to these people that are struggling. This defendant had a record. And then he's moved up to fentanyl. Which fentanyl, is, which is like 50, somebody. Yeah, like one or two grains, like a, a grain of salt. They take two of those, they're going to die. And uh, I'm, I'm beyond disappointed in the court. It's deadly stuff, obviously, and... Uh, I think you're right to be concerned, but what is the, how does the habitual offender law work in Vermont? A lot of people don't real, realize that we do have one on the books. How does it work? Well, the, what or it not work. So the state's attorney in their discretion, uh, if somebody has three prior felonies, when they charge somebody with a fourth or a fifth or whatever felony, you know, subsequent felony on the information or indictment, we add the habitual offender stating this defendant has these prior felonies, therefore, it gives the court the authority to sentence uh, the defendant up to and including life. And I've maintained for years now that that needs to mean something in the courts, that if the state's attorney, the chief law enforcement officer of their county, opts to do that, it's to send a message that this needs to stop. And somebody that is continuing to poison our community with now fentanyl, Needs to be incapacitated. Yeah, I, uh, I, I let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hi, I'm a poor. Bye-bye. Anyway, Kelly? Uh, so I'm still here, listeners. So, so uh, Doug, you know, we heard uh, during my segment before talking about public safety, a lot of people saying, you know, we need to put these people away. We need to arrest them. We need to get them in jail. And, and I was trying to make the case that, this is a multi-pronged problem. Do you think that the results of this case are going to um, basically send a chill, have a chill factor on other states' attorneys who are uh, trying to bring this case and then reinforce other states' attorneys who are saying, you know, hey, there's nothing I can do. The judges aren't putting them away either. Like, how is this going to affect the entire dialogue we're having around public safety uh, across the state of Vermont? Well, I think just having public awareness is important, and that's one of the reasons why I came out with uh, the statement I did is because many, many Islanders were watching this case because this individual was notorious. People knew. Uh, and so I've talked to several of my colleagues after this happened, and the response is, that's sad, but I'm not surprised. Hmm. Uh and because this is sort of happening in our in our court system, and I can reference briefly just another case I had where I added the habitual offender. We went to trial. A jury convicted this gentleman of burglary and grand larceny, and I asked for a sentence of 10 to 16 years. A different judge uh, sentenced him. I can't remember the sentence, but it was he got credit for time served because he was on furlough at the time, and he was out within about a month, and about two months later, he was arrested committing a home invasion in Swanton, Vermont. Uh, and I'm just like, you know, I told you so. Right. Told you so. 
the uh, the the case we had in Burlington last week, where there was a shooting um, outside on on Lower St. Paul Street. The report out when they when they apprehended the person was that it that person had 150 prior interactions with police. 150. Mm-hmm. And Doug, you're I think you I think you said in the, in the story that you are seeing you know this is a case you highlighted in your remarks to in from Vermont Digger at CAX, et cetera. But I think you also said that this is a trend you're seeing. This is a troubling pattern that you're seeing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, just from my own experience, um, I, I really focus on my own county, but I, I, I'm seeing this trend, and I, I'm, I think it's sending the entirely the wrong message. Uh, you know, the, the, the case I just referenced where it was a burglary and a uh, grand larceny. They went into somebody's home, and there. I remember growing up as a kid, the word burglary would be so chilling, and now it seems to have almost like almost no effect on. It's like no big deal, and I'm like, what are we doing here? Yeah. What What are we doing? Yeah, I'm with Couldn't you. More. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I uh, live in the town of Grand Isle, and uh, so I'm familiar with uh, the residence where Mr. Lyro is presently living, and I just wanted to give you the heads up that I did listen to uh, uh, your appearance on Vermont Public Radio this past week on this topic, and so my question uh, perhaps are a little bit different than what was asked before uh, when you were on the air. So my first question is, uh, I was curious, what is the business plan for somebody like Mr. Lyro when there's evidence that he had upwards of $13,000 in one random raid and close to $12,000 in one of the other rates in cash, uh, and if you look at the property where he's, he's presently living, it looks like Vermont's version of a junkyard. So I was curious, how is all this money handled, and where is it going? Is it going to a limited liability corporation offshore? I can answer that. Yeah, let's hear Doug's answer. All right. So the the latest case, the, the money that was... Uh, uh, located was forfeited. The the uh, the uh, United States Attorney uh, for the District of Vermont filed a forfeiture action on that that money, so that got forfeited. In terms of the property, uh, that's something that needs to be handled on a local level. If they have any sort of like junk ordinances, new you know those types of things, that has to be handled by the select board. Now, my question is, if the if the feds uh, got involved when it came to forfeiture of the money, is there a potential that they would be involved in the dealing aspect? Is is this is this done, or could this individual, could Mr. Lero, be charged in federal court? I, I, I possibly he could be. Uh, you know, at this point, you know, I think what's done is done. Mm-hmm. Um, the the court made a decision. I'm not here to. Uh, uh, you know, slam this this individual. I, I'm. It's just he is the individual uh, that 
was the subject of this case. But and, you're seeing a trend overall, and and, yeah. and and that's that's why you're here because you're concerned. And I and I do yeah. think that it does send a message out of Vermont that if you want a deal, yeah. look, they just gave a dealer probation. The one thing I also want to say is the day the day of sentencing when uh, the sentence was handed down. I went home and I watched the local news, and the, one of the lead stories was how their property owners in Burlington putting up fencing to protect themselves from violence, drugs, and the property that they were focusing on was the courthouse yeah. in Chittenden County. And I was like, what, what, what universe am I, you know, this court, the court that that day didn't hand down any incarcerative sentence. Yet you have a courthouse that's basically imprisoning itself to protect itself from the, Topic of what what Mr. Lara was doing. The the there's yeah. a great irony there. There's a, yeah, there's, the connection. Let's so go. There's a lot of uh, talk Wait. in Burlington um, about um, cracking down on drugs. I want to ask you about that when we come back from the call. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Hello. Uh, who do the judges uh, report to? Who are their supervisors? And uh, could you explain that? And also, who are the state's attorneys, supervisors? Who do they report to? Uh, I think you're doing a good job, but I'd just like to know sure. who who's supervising, who is the leadership in the courts for the judges and for the state's attorneys statewide. So I report to the, the 7,500 people that elect me that reside in Grand Isle County. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm an elected official. Uh, I do have, you know, I am bound by the rules of professional conduct um, that's administered by the uh, Vermont Supreme Court. Uh, but uh, so, but I don't have a direct supervisor. Uh, in terms of the judges, they're appointed by um, the governor, and they come up for retention every six years. So uh, they, you're, there's public comment, there's hearings uh, whenever a judge is up for retention. But they're, they um, have a, a huge amount of discretion. And I, I also want to be clear with this particular um, sentence that was handed down. There was nothing, nothing illegal about the sentence. So when I charged this defendant with the fentanyl trafficking and heroin uh, distribution, habitual offender, I'll, I'll tell you the maximum the, the court could have sentenced him was life in prison and a $1,250,000 fine. The minimum the judge could have sentenced him is have a good day. He could have just said, you're convicted, have a good day. So the judge has that much discretion when it comes to um, the outcome? In, this, in, in most cases, yes. There are some cases that have a minimum uh, sentence requirement, which it's in the legislation, mm-hmm. and so the judge can't deviate from that. And we have that in certain DUI cases, even a driving with a license suspended, number two or three. But on a fentanyl trafficking, there is no minimum mandatory sentence. We're talking, to, we're talking to Grand Isle State's Attorney Doug DeSabado. Mackenzie Country Classic Hotline's open. We've got just a few minutes left. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yes, first I want to commend you for speaking out on this, on this issue. Um, it's an important issue, and it's a problem is statewide. I mean, we have, I, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think we're at the point where most of our state's attorneys in Vermont are actually defense attorneys. Um, Sarah George speaks for herself. 
And most of them now, you know, would, would agree with what that judge did. So unless the people wake up and start replacing state's attorneys with people that are actually, actually want to prosecute these crimes, um, I don't think it's going to change much. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I really would rather not comment on other, um, you know, the other 14 state's attorneys. I, I can tell you that, you know, there are a few that maybe, you know, ascribe to what the judge did, but I can tell you the majority of my colleagues that I've spoken to uh, agree with me. Do you, th- uh, do you think it's realistic to think we're going to get some of these public safety um, and drug drug dealing problems that we know we have in Burlington under control given the current state of the, the court system? I mean, I keep hearing about a backlog. I've been hearing about that for two years. Is it realistic to think that, you know, the, the judicial process will serve us well in trying to address those issues? I still believe in our judicial system here. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't want to be overly critical of, of the courts, the court system as a whole. Um, but one thing I would like to point out is um, the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, Senator Dick Sears from Bennington, uh, made a statement that uh, I'd like to say agreed with me and said that this sentence sent the wrong message. And so that was really um, heartening to see. Uh, Doug, I want to ask you, obviously some of these judges' decisions are very troubling to you and I think to lots of members of the public. Do you think that part of the answer, if judges are going to hand down these kind of sentences, are mandatory minimums? With fentanyl, absolutely. With selling, absolutely. And I know in certain respects that's not a positive, you know, there's a lot of uh, groups saying, no, we don't have that. We shouldn't have that. But I believe if the legislature is going to have a mandatory minimum on a DUI number two or a DLS driving with number two, why don't they have it on fentanyl trafficking? And I always argue to the courts when I'm arguing a sentence, it's like this case, your honor. The legislature, the, the, the body that makes these laws has determined that fentanyl trafficking has a maximum sentence of 30 years or a million dollar fine. Sit back and think about that. That's what the legislature deems how serious this felony is and potential two years of probation. And, and with all due respect to the Department of Corrections, let me tell you, what type of supervision these people have on probation. It's very minor. It's, I'm gonna, you need to call in once, once a month and say you're not doing drugs, everything's fine. Um, I'm, I'm going to the extreme here, but it's not what people think. And, and I don't understand why a sentence with a 10-year maximum, why the court would even like threaten that when Potentially in two years, you're going to be off probation anyway. It makes absolutely no sense to me, and I think it makes absolutely no sense to Vermonters. I completely agree. I mean, I know there are a lot of legislators. I know this was debated in the past, mandatory minimums, and a lot of legislators bristle at that, and I think judges don't like the idea of it either. But Well, perhaps when they start having fencing put around their homes, (laughs) they might change their tune. And when you see sentences handed down that just sort of violate your sensibilities on these issues and affront your common sense, then maybe it's time for some mandatory minimums on these type of crimes. The other thing I said, 
The other thing I'd like to say is I think the Department of Corrections and even the legislature should look at having treatment inside the correctional facilities mm-hmm. uh, because they're, they're, they're there. These individuals are there. And why not use that time to really help them uh, and provide that service to them rather than just sitting there doing nothing? And so I want people to get better. Make no mistake about that. I, I'm also a believer in restorative justice. I do send referrals to diversion. I, I do that. So make no mistake, I support that. But when you have a habitual criminal with a, a track record of selling and poisoning the community with illegal drugs, they need to be incapacitated. Yeah. Douglas Abbott, Grand Isle State's attorney, speaking his mind on important issues around fentanyl and drug sentencing. And uh, thanks for being on the morning drive today. You're welcome. It's good to see you all. Thanks for coming in. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to check in with uh, Fox News. Amanda's got the headlines and we'll be back.